field, these little guys, and the old got up. He said, hey, man, what's that bad snow, man? Yeah, this is my luck, boy, is out. Let's see, boy, you can have yourself a scout from his chips. Slow down, push out, clean out, look as though it goes a blinding flat.
welcome everybody from this earth and also extraterrestrial beings if there are any and we hope there are.
stations were established, I'd go along. I'd ask them, you take me spin around the moon? Um, where would you like to take me? Uh, you know, uh, I, I'd get my mother to feed my cats. Why, uh, you can take me all the way to Zayn. Take it, why, 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 take it,
Hello and thank you for joining another session of Ultima Thule. This is your host for the evening, Mark Kundalini, presenting this the 677th broadcast of Ultima Thule Ambience. That last track was A Welcome to All Extraterrestrials, produced by uh, Simon Posford, Roger Ram and crew, released on the Mystery of the Yeti Part 1 album on Tip Records. Before that were two versions of Blue Aura by the Infinity Project, again Simon Posford, Roger Ram, Graham Wood on the Mystical Experiences release on Blue Room Records back in the early 90s. Tonight's program will be a dual dedication, one part to Simon Posford and Roger Ram and that crew who have produced uh, some remarkable music under names such as Spongel, some of you may be familiar with uh, Spongel's work. And then the other part of the dedication is to Terence McKenna, and we'll be hearing a release called Alien Dreamtime, where he did a bit of a rap of music produced by Space Time Continuum. Ultima Thule is a weekly broadcast of ambient and atmospheric music and it can be heard in Sydney on the Fine Music Network 102.5 2MBS. Adelaide's 5MBS, which is 99.9 FM. Canberra's Artsound FM 92.7. You can also catch us on the web via our streaming and podcast services. If you'd like to find out more about our playlists or send in a comment, say g'day, you can have a look at our website which is ultimathule.info, that's U-L-T-I-M-A-T-H-U-L-E dot info. And Ultima Thule and team would like to thank the generous sponsorship of Rosne Wines. They're a leading provider of certified organic produce and wines. You can have a look at their website, which is rosnewines.com.au. Now we're going to launch into the Terence McKenna part of the program. The first track that you are about to hear will be called... 
archaic revival. You may do well to listen carefully to Terence's words. He's uh, quite a character. Enjoy. Trouble, 
It casts itself back into the past, looking for the last sane moment it ever knew. And the last sane moment we ever knew was on the plains of Africa. 15,000 years ago, rocked in the cradle of the great horned mushroom goddess before history, before standing armies, before slavery and property, before warfare and phonetic alphabets and monotheism, before, 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 and this is where the future is taking us, because the secret faith of the 20th century is not modernism. The secret faith of the 20th century is nostalgia for the archaic, nostalgia for the Paleolithic, and that gives us body piercing, abstract expressionism, surrealism, jazz, rock and roll, and catastrophe theory. The 20th century mind is nostalgic for the paradise that once existed on the mushroom-dotted plains of Africa where the plant-human symbiosis occurred that pulled us out of the animal body and into the tool-using, culture-making, imagination-exploring creature that we are. And why does this matter? It matters because it shows that the way out is back and that the future is a forward escape into the past. This is what the psychedelic experience means. It's a doorway out of history and into the wiring under the board in eternity. And I tell you this because if the community understands what it is that holds it together, the community will be better able to streamline itself for flight into hyperspace. Because what we need is a new myth. What we need is a new true story that tells us where we're going in the universe. And that true story is that the ego 
is a product of pathology, and that when psilocybin is regularly part of the human experience, the ego is suppressed, and the suppression of the ego means the defeat of the dominators, the materialists, the product peddlers. Psychedelics return us to the inner worth of the self, to the importance of the feeling of immediate experience. And nobody can sell that to you, and nobody can buy it from you. So the dominator culture is not interested in the felt presence of immediate experience. But that's what holds the community together. And as we break out of the silly myths of science and the infantile obsessions of the marketplace, what we discover through the psychedelic experience is that in the body, in the body, there are Niagara's of beauty, alien beauty, alien dimensions that are part of the self, the richest part of life. I think of going to the grave without having a psychedelic experience like going to the grave without ever having sex. It means that you never figured out what it was all about. The mystery is in the body and the way the body works itself into nature. What the archaic revival means is shamanism, ecstasy, orgiastic sexuality, and the defeat of the three enemies of the people, and the three enemies of the people are hegemony, monogamy, and monotony. And if you get them on the run, you have the dominators sweating, folks, because that means that you're getting it all reconnected. And getting it all reconnected means putting aside the idea of separateness and self-definition through thing fetish. Getting it all connected means tapping into the Gaian mind. And the Gaian mind is what we're calling the psychedelic experience. It's an experience of the living fact of the intellect of the planet. And without that experience, we wander in a desert of bogus ideologies. But with that experience, the 
compass of the self can be set. And that's the idea, that we're figuring out how to reset the compass of the self through community, through ecstatic dance, through psychedelics, sexuality, intelligence, intelligence. This is what we have to have to make the forward escape into hyperspace.
Introduction. <laughs> now for some preaching to the choir on the subject of how come it is that the further in you go, the bigger it gets. I remember the very, very first time I smoked DMT. It was sort of a benchmark, you might say. And I remember that this friend of mine who always got there first visited me with this little glass pipe 
and this stuff which looked like orange mothballs. And since I was a graduate of Dr. Hoffman's, I figured there were no surprises. So the only question I asked was, how long does it last? And he said, about five minutes. So I did it. And... There was uh, something like a flower, like a chrysanthemum in orange and yellow that was sort of spinning, spinning. And then it was like I was pushed from behind and I fell through the chrysanthemum into another place that didn't seem like a state of mind. It seemed like another place. And what was going on in this place, aside from the tastefully soffited indirect lighting, and the crawling geometric hallucinations along the domed walls, what was happening was that there were a lot of uh, beings in there. A lot of what I call self-transforming machine elves. Sort of like jeweled basketballs all dribbling their way toward me and if they'd had faces they'd have been grinning but they didn't have faces and they assured me that they loved me and they told me not to be amazed not to give way to astonishment. And so I watched them, even though I wondered if maybe I hadn't really done it this time. And what they were doing was they were making objects come into existence by singing them into existence. Objects which looked like Fabergé eggs from Mars morphing themselves with Mandayan alphabetical structures. They looked like the concrescence of linguistic intentionality put through a kind of hyperdimensional transform into three-dimensional space. And these little machines offered themselves to me, and I realized when I looked at them that 
If I could bring just one of these little trinkets back, nothing would ever be quite the same again. And I wondered, where am I? And what is going on? And it occurred to me that these must be holographic viral projections from an autonomous continuum that was somehow intersecting my own. And then I thought a more elegant explanation would be to take it at face value and realize that I had broken into an ecology of souls and that somehow I was getting a peep over the other side. Somehow I was finding out that thing that you cheerfully assume you can't find out. But it felt like I was finding out and it felt... And then I can't remember what it felt like because the little self-transforming types interrupted me and said, don't think about it. Don't think about who we are. Think about doing what we're doing. Do it. Do it now. Do it. And what they meant was use your voice to make an object. And as I understood, I felt a bubble kind of grow inside of me. And I watched these little elf types jumping in and out of my chest. They like to do that to reassure you. And they said, do it. And I felt language rise up in me that was unhooked from English. And I began to speak like this. Or words to that effect. And I wondered then what it all meant and why it felt so good. 
if it didn't mean anything. And I thought about it a few years, actually. And I decided, you know, that meaning and language are two different things. And that what the alien voice in the psychedelic experience wants to reveal is the syntactical nature of reality. That the real secret of magic is that the world is made of words. And that if you know the words that the world is made of, you can make of it whatever you wish. And one of the things that I learned about DMT was that if you've ever had it, even just once, then you can have a dream. And in this dream, somebody will pull out a little glass pipe. And then it will happen. It will happen just like the real thing. Because there's a button somewhere inside each and every one of us that gives you a look into the other side. And that's the button that resets the compass that tells you where you want to sail. Good luck.
You're tuned in to Ultima Thule, a weekly broadcast of ambient and atmospheric music, here with your host, Mark Kundalini. And that track you just heard was Aerobatic, towards the end of an album called Alien Dreamtime, with words by Terence McKenna and music by Spacetime Continuum. Before that, we heard tracks Speaking in Tongues, Alien Love, Transient Generator, and uh, at the top there, Archaic Revival. Ultima Thule is a weekly broadcast of ambient and atmospheric music. It can be heard in Sydney on the Fun Music Network 2MBS, which is on 102.5 FM, Adelaide's 5MBS 99.9 FM, Canberra's Art Sound FM. 92.7. You can also access an archive of previous shows that you can stream and podcast via our website, which is ultimathule.info. That's U L T I M A T H U L E.info. You might also like to leave us a message and say hello and uh, provide any feedback and comments. Ultimathule is made possible in part through the generous sponsorship of Rosne Wines. You can have a look at their website, which is rosnaywines.com.au. Now, I'm going to leave you with a final track, which concludes the Terence McKenna Alien Dream Time album. It is called Time Wave Zero. It's quite a long track, so uh, keep back and tune into the words. Hope you enjoy the ride. This is Mark Kundalini. George Cruikshank will be back next week to present the 678th episode of Ultima Thule. But now I'm going to say good night and enjoy and I'll see you in four weeks time.
expects us to believe that all times are the same and that your bank account doesn't fluctuate except according to the vicissitudes of your own existence. In other words, every moment is expected to be the same, and yet this isn't what we experience. And so what I noticed was that running through reality is the ebb and flow of novelty. And some days, and some years, and some centuries are very novel indeed, and some ain't. And they come and go on all scales, differently, interweaving, resonantly. And this is what time seems to be. And science has overlooked this this most salient of facts about nature, that nature is a novelty-conserving engine, and that from the very first moments of that most improbable Big Bang, novelty has been conserved because in the very beginning there was only an ocean of energy pouring into the universe. There were no planets, no stars, no molecules, no atoms, no magnetic fields. There was only an ocean of free electrons. And then time passed and the universe cooled, and novel structures crystallized out of disorder. First, atoms. Atoms of hydrogen and helium, aggregating into stars. And at the center of those stars, the temperature and the pressure created something which had never been seen before, which was fusion and fusion cooking in the hearts of stars brought forth more novelty, heavy elements, iron, carbon, four-valent carbon. And as time passed, there were not only then elemental systems, but because of the presence of carbon and the lower temperatures in the universe, molecular structures. And out of molecules come simple subsets of organisms, the genetic machinery for transcripting information, aggregating into membranes, always Binding novelty, always condensing time, always building and conserving upon complexity, and always faster and faster and faster. And then 
we come to ourselves and where do we fit into all of this? Five million years ago, we were an animal of some sort. Where will we be five million years from tonight? What we represent is not a sideshow or an epiphenomena or an ancillary something or other on the edge of nowhere. What we represent is the nexus of concrescent novelty that has been moving itself together, complexifying itself, folding itself in upon itself for billions and billions of years. There is, so far as we know, nothing more advanced than what is sitting behind your eyes. The human neocortex is the most densely ramified and complexified structure in the known universe. We are the cutting edge of organismic transformation of matter in this cosmos. And this has been going on for a while since the discovery of fire, since the discovery of language. But now, and by now, I mean for the last 10,000 years, we've been into something new. Not genetic information, not genetic mutation, not natural selection, but epigenetic activity, writing, theater, poetry, dance, art, tattooing, body piercing, and philosophy. And these things have accelerated the ingression into novelty so that we have become an idea excreting force in nature that builds temples, builds cities, builds machines, social engines, plans, and spreads over the earth into space, into the microphysical domain, into the macrophysical domain. We, who five million years ago were animals, can kindle in our deserts and if necessary upon the cities of our enemies the very energy which lights the stars at night. Now, something peculiar is going on here. Something is calling us out of nature and sculpting us in its own image. And the confrontation with this something is now not so far away. This is what the impending apparent end of everything actually means. It means that the denouement of human history is about to occur and is about to be revealed as a universal process of concressing and expressing novelty that is now going to become so intensified that it is going to flow over 
into another dimension. You can feel it. You, you can feel it in your own dreams. You can feel it in your own trips. You can feel that we're approaching the cusp of a catastrophe and that beyond that cusp, we are unrecognizable to ourselves. The wave of novelty that has rolled unbroken since the birth of the universe has now focused and coalesced itself in our species. And if it seems unlikely to you that the world is about to transform itself, then think of it this way. Think of a pond and think of how if the surface of the pond begins to boil, that's the signal that some enormous protean form is about to break the surface of the pond and reveal itself. Human history is the boiling of the pond surface of ordinary biology. We are flesh which has been caught in the grip of some kind of an attractor that lies ahead of us in time and that is sculpting us to its ends, speaking to us through psychedelics, through visions, through culture and technology, consciousness, the language forming capacity in our species is propelling itself forward as though it were going to shed the monkey body and leap into some extra surreal space that surrounds us but that we cannot currently see. Even the people who run the planet, the World Bank, the IMF, you name it, they know that the history is ending. They know by the reports which cross their desks that what the, the disappearance of the ozone hole, the toxification of the ocean, the clearing of the rainforest. What this means is that the womb of the planet has reached its finite limits and that the human species has now, without choice, begun the descent down the birth canal of collective transformation toward something right around the corner and nearly completely unimaginable. And this is where the psychedelic shaman comes in because I believe that what we really contact through psychedelics is a kind of hyperspace and from that hyperspace we look down on We look down on both the past and the future and we anticipate the end. And a shaman is someone who has seen the end and therefore is a trickster because you don't worry if you've seen the end. If you know how it comes out, 
you go back and you take your place in the play and you let it all roll on without anxiety. This is what boundary dissolution means. It means nothing less than the anticipation of the end state of human history, a return to the archaic mode, a rediscovery of the orgiastic freedom of the African grasslands of 20,000 years ago, a techno-escape forward into a future that looks more like the past than the future because materialism, consumerism, product fetishism, all of these things will be eliminated and technology will become nanotechnology and disappear from our physical presence. If, if we have the dream, if we allow the wave of novelty to propel us toward the creativity that is inimical to the human condition, this is what we're talking about here. Psychedelics as a catalyst to the human imagination. Psychedelics as a catalyst for language. Because what cannot be said cannot be created by the community. So what we need then is the forced evolution of language. And the way to do that is to go back to the agents that created language in the very first place. And that means the psychedelic plants, the Gaian logos, and the mysterious beckoning extraterrestrial minds beyond, hooking ourselves back up into the chakras of the hierarchy of nature, turning ourselves over to the mind of the total other that created us and brought us forth out of animal organization. We are somehow part of the planetary destiny. How well we do determines how well the experiment of life on Earth does because we have become the cutting edge of that experiment. We define it and we hold in our hands the power to make or to break it. This is not a dress rehearsal for the apocalypse. This is not a pseudo-millennium. This is the real thing, folks. This is not a test. This is the last chance before things become so dissipated that there is no chance for cohesiveness. We can use the calendar as a club. We can make the millennium an occasion for establishing an authentic human civilization, overcoming the dominator paradigm, dissolving boundaries through psychedelics, recreating a sexuality not based on monotheism, monogamy, and monotony. We all these things are possible if we can understand the overarching metaphor which holds it all together, which is the celebration of mind as play, the celebration of love as a genuine social value in the community.
This is what they have suppressed so long. This is why they are so afraid of the psychedelics, because they understand that once you touch the inner core of your own and someone else's being, you can't be led into thing fetishism and consumerism. The message of psychedelics is that culture can be re-engineered as a set of emotional values rather than products. This is terrifying news. And if we are able to make this point, then we can pull back. We can pull back and we can transcend. Nine times in the last million years, the ice has ground south from the poles, pushing human populations ahead of it. And those people didn't fuck up. Why should we then? We are all survivors. We are the inheritors of a million years of striving for the unspeakable. And now, with the engines of technology in our hands, we ought to be able to reach out and actually exteriorize the human soul at the end of time. Invoke it into existence like a UFO and open the violet doorway into hyperspace and walk through it out of profane history and into the world beyond the grave, beyond shamanism, beyond the end of history, into the galactic millennium that has beckoned to us for millions of years across space and time. This is the moment a planet brings forth an opportunity like this only once in its lifetime. And we are ready, and we are poised, and as a community, we are ready to move into it, to claim it, to make it our own. It's there. Go for it. And thank you.